<laughs> okay. All right. So would you welcome with me Mike and Jason from 10th Avenue North. Hello. Hey guys. How are you? I have treats. Would anybody like a treat? It's not as exciting as you might think. It's, they're not cookies. No cookies. I've got, um, I wrote some devotionals to go along with our record, and I don't have enough for everybody. So if you really want one, I had, I've, I've been having youth pastors order some and uh, like going through with their kids. And uh, so here we go. I'm going to try not to make everyone upset. There we go. Woo. Woo. I said it's not a youth pastor meeting unless you throw out something for free, right? I, it's in the vibe. I feel like I should stand. I, know, I, it's too I can sit, but then it's like you can't see me. I'm a lot shorter than you are, though. Do it. Look at him. All right. Let's begin. All right. <laughs> All right, so we're going to start by asking some questions up here, and then we're going to open it up for you guys to ask some questions. And so be thinking of some things that you might want to know. And uh, we'll kick it off with something fun. Why don't you guys tell us how you guys got started in music? In music? Um, I grew up in a uh, really musical family. Mom and dad are here somewhere. I don't know where you're at. Where are you guys at? There you are back there. So believe it or not, yeah. <laughs> So I actually grew up coming to Creation Festival. So I don't know if it was my first year, 1981, the year I was born. Was that a couple months after? So I came here when I was two months old, maybe. And then I went for 20 years uh, straight. And so I was just around music. My dad plays drums. Mom plays piano. So dad had a drum set up in my bedroom. And I would just make a bunch of noise. And uh, he would teach me beats. And so that led to just music so we were the Jameson five was our worship team it was like literally the whole family we did worship together and played trumpet in high school so that's how I got started in music in general yeah yeah and uh we got started playing just in college we went to the same college called it's yes. called PBA sorry <laughs> I mean it was Valley Forge PBA um it was it was awesome your kids definitely shouldn't go there, except it was awesome. Um, <laughs> no, and uh, I actually just started playing guitar because I didn't, I didn't play any music growing up. And my senior year of high school, I got in a car accident with my best friend and uh, flipped the car, broke my back in two places, broke my head, ripped my ear off, the whole deal. was intensive care, you know, was supposed to die. I flatlined five times on the way to the hospital. Um, all that stuff, just crazy. And when I came to, I had to lay on my back for two months, and so I asked for a guitar uh, to pass the time, and uh, so we have a song that says, I want to know a song can rise from the ashes of my broken life. That's literally what happened to me. Uh, if I hadn't broken my back, I would never have started playing guitar, so here we go. Amazing. All right. Um, well, so being in 10th Avenue North, you're traveling, you're on the road, and uh, we've been talking a lot this week about um, how ministry is busy, and so why don't you tell us a little bit about how you uh, just balance your ministry, your family life, um, and keep your walk with God fresh at the same time. 
Yeah, I mean, it, I think people think that maybe we're way different than everyone else. Um, but I would say I think everyone probably has that battle they have to deal with. How do you balance your work life, your family life, your spiritual life? Um, for us, the first two, balancing work life and family life, is something that I think we've always just kind of battled. We always kind of check in, see how everyone's making out. Uh, when we started the band, we actually said um, families have to take priority. Uh, we had a lot of people who uh, weren't signed up necessarily for the long haul of the band, and they were getting married, and they wanted to go. And we're like, absolutely, go take care of your family and your wife. Uh, your wife, And um, so we still hold that. I mean, just was that a year and a half ago, we had a big band meeting. We had to check and see how everyone was doing, and uh, really just the temperament, like, of the, the temperature of the just all the families in general. Everyone was just getting real stretched thin, so we had to make some big uh, changes. So I think just checking in, constantly looking, evaluating, and, I, and we're lucky, too, because we're surrounded with people that can also go, hey, guys, we need to, you know, I think multiple eyes, multiple minds can kind of give you better insight into something. Um, so that's, I mean, family, business for me. Um, spiritual mm -hmm. life is just carving that time out. I always say being in a band, we worked at a church for seven years, and balancing family life and work life is way easier in a band than working at a church. Because, I mean, I remember I was an intern at the church, and I'd be working 100 hours a week. I was supposed to be working 20, you know. And we had an amazing mentor early on who he would tick people off because right after a thing, he would go straight home. And people were like, you need to be around and help these people. And he, I remember he sat all the interns down, and he talked to us about this one guy who started this amazing ministry, but in the process, he totally ruined his family. And he'd point us to Acts 17, 25, that says, God's not served by men's hands if he needed anything. But he gives to us life, breath, and all things. And he was pointing out that there's a way that we can serve God that blasphemes God. Like, if you serve God in a way that says, God can't do it without me, so I can't say no to say yes to my family, you blaspheme him. Okay? And uh, we had to do that, like, two years ago. We almost quit. I mean, we were about to quit as a band because we had just done so many shows. And we had to basically commit to doing 50 less shows a year than we were doing. And we didn't even know if we would be able to, like, pay our bills on that. And God really came through in an amazing way. But maybe just a thing for me, and I'm sure for you, the one thing that always goes in my head, because you have this duplicitous thing in Scripture, right? You have, hey, anyone who doesn't hate his own family is not worthy of me, says Jesus. But then Paul writes, he says, anyone who doesn't take care of his family is worse than an unbeliever. It's like, okay, which is it? Am I supposed to love Jesus so much that I hate my family? Or am I supposed to take care of my family even if it means I have to say no to ministry? And I think it's a tension that sometimes we have to make choices that it's going to be hard on our family in the name of Jesus. But on the flip side, there are times where we have to say no to ministry in order to take care of our family. Because I believe, I'll stop with this, we must not sacrifice our families on the altar of ministry. Or for bands, we must not sacrifice our families on the altar of ambition. Because we'll have our booking agents say, you need to do this show, and you need to do this show, and you need to do this show. Two years ago, we said, nope, we're doing 90 shows. 
If we live on it, we live on it. If we don't, we don't. But we're not doing more than that because that's all our families can take. Good. Um, do you have a favorite moment that you've had so far uh, as 10th Avenue North? Talking to the youth pastors of Creation 2017. Good answer. Good answer. I will say there is a great, oh, you almost dropped it too, for real. Um, there is a really great moment. I said we, we, Mike and I actually came to Creation when we were in college, too. We started this band, and we were like, oh, let's go to Creation. I grew up coming here. And so the next time I came back was about four or five years later, and we were playing main stage for the first time. So it was this crazy, crazy moment of, like, my whole life I've seen Harry Thomas, and now I get to meet Harry Thomas and, you know, talk to Harry Thomas and, um, you mean we Santa? Were, yeah, Santa. And we were <laughs> we were playing that show. It was so it, we were middle of the day. I mean, I think just my family was out there in youth group listening. And um, we're playing, and it had rained just like it did today. And the top of the stage had this bubble of water. I had no idea. I had no idea it was there. And we're uh, just playing, and we're in the middle of the show. And all of a sudden, I'm looking out at the crowd, and all of a sudden, the whole crowd goes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the, the skies opened up. I mean, the, the tarp somehow tarp split broke. wind or something, yeah. and I just got dumped on. And just it him. Was like, just him. It was like an 80s music video, like like drumming <laughs> and water spraying. It was awesome. So, I mean, it's a, it's a great memory for Thank creation. you. We're Def Leppard. Have yeah, a good time. Yeah. That was a good one. That was a good one. Um, so your last record, it's called Followers. So would you talk to us a little bit about what that means and the, the heart behind it? Are you sure you want to know? Um, I have this sort of um, conflicted relationship with the word leader uh, because it doesn't appear in Scripture. Um, anytime you see, like, leader, overseer, uh, the word in Greek is usually caretaker, flock tender, something like that, and uh, we worked at a church, big old church, John Maxwell was a pastor at our church, so we heard a ton about leadership, and I wanted to write a record called Followers because I said, Jesus never asked anyone to be a leader, he just said, come and follow me, and some of you go, well, what about Peter, Peter was the leader of the church, I was like, what did Jesus say to Peter, he didn't say, Peter, lead my sheep, he said, Peter, feed my sheep. Like, and I think we even have invented this word. I was at a banquet for K-Love, and this guy was talking. He didn't work for K-Love. He worked for another company. He's like, Jesus invented this amazing concept called servant leadership. I go, no, he invented servant. Like, that was the whole conversation with his disciples. Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest leader? And he said, quit worrying about that. Serve. People don't have regenerated hearts in a lot of our churches. They don't know Jesus. So you have to appeal to their ego to get them to work at your church. So you give them a term like servant leader. Now all of a sudden you can get people doing things that look good for the wrong reasons. Like that's why we can't say you want to be a servant. Because if you haven't given over your ego to Jesus, being a servant doesn't appeal to you. So you're like, oh, you don't want to be a servant? You'll be a servant leader. Because who doesn't want to be a leader? Everybody wants to make much of. That's our problem. We want to be treated like God. 
And so, I, I don't know. So I'm, I'm in this thing. I, so I have this buddy. He leads a ministry, right? I would say he facilitates a ministry. It's kind of a different word. I know, I know it's semantics, but I write songs. That's what I work. I work in semantics, right? So <laughs> he, he does this big, it's the biggest collegiate Bible study in America, right? They have 7,000 kids come weekly to this Bible study at Texas A&M. And he's facilitating it. And he's, he's, you know, we're riffing back and forth. I love debate, right? And uh, so he goes, so you're telling me every day I pray for my two sons that they would be lovers of God and great leaders of men. That's wrong? I said, it's not wrong. It's just redundant. I said, here's the deal. Jesus didn't say, follow me and make yourself fishers of men. He said, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. In other words, I believe it's wrong for us to desire to be leaders. Our desire ought to be to follow and abide in Christ. And if he makes you a leader in the eyes of men, whatever. But that's not on you. You're, you're supposed to seek first the kingdom and all these things are added to you, right? So it's a matter of don't look at yourself like a leader because most people I've met who look at themselves as a leader also look at other people as beneath them. And that, to me, is the most unbiblical way you can perceive another person. That's it. <laughs> what you want to say about it? What you want to say? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. Well, we're going to open it up to you guys for some questions. Um, anybody have any questions you'd like to ask? Are you raising your hand or are you stretching? Oh, okay. <laughs> anyone, anyone. Hey, before you do that, before you ask that question, so here's where, this is like an illustration. Maybe you guys have seen this. Have any of you done this in your youth group? Uh, Tommy. Yeah, hi. Yeah, okay, come stand on the chair. Okay. Okay. Now there's little Lucy, right? Okay. You guys hold hands. Okay. Little Lucy, you try to pull big Tommy down. Big Tommy, you try to pull little Lucy up. I heard this as a kid, right? It's like every time Big Tommy gets pulled off the chair because it's easier to be pulled down by bad company than to lift them up, right? Don't surround yourself with bad company. I hate this illustration with all my heart <laughs> because Big Tommy is already learning to look down on someone. I go, I get it. Don't surround yourself with bad company. But what if the model looked like this? Big Tommy, get on your hands and knees and on your face at little Susie's feet. Right? Okay, little Susie or whatever her name is. Knock Big Tommy over. You, talk, you can't knock a man down who's already serving on his face. That's it. That's, that's why Jesus, haven't you ever wondered, well, if we're not supposed to be surrounded by bad company, how come Jesus wasn't infected by all the riffraff he hung out with? It's because he became to be the servant of all. And there's this old band called Me Without You, and they had this quote in one of their songs that says, if I become the servant of all, there's no further place to fall. If my whole intent is to serve, you can't infect me with your bad behavior because I'm beneath your bad behavior. I'm serving you. Okay. 
All of us are feeling very ashamed for using that illustration. No, 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 don't. It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We're going to change it up. We're all going to be good. It's going to be great. Here we go. It's going to be good. That was good. That was grace. good, right? There's grace, baby. There's all grace. Right. <laughs> God can even use flawed illustrations. I mean, he uses us, right? So I am a flawed illustration. <laughs> all right. Any questions out there? Way in the back. Super very, spiritual. Very deep. Um, it, it's pretty simple. Um, it's exactly what you think. Worst name ever. Yeah, so uh, we started, like Mike said, we started down in West Palm Beach, and we were at college. We started out kind of as a joke and just kind of having fun, and we called ourselves Fraggle Rock. Um, and, and eventually, we actually got asked to go and lead worship at a conference. It was like a, it was a real... Like, serious, this is a serious event. And we're like, well, we need a real name. And we couldn't think of anything. And we uh, we lived, at, our dorm rooms were off of 10th Avenue North. And uh, <laughs> we were driving back, <laughs> we were driving back to our, our dorms. And he's like, hey, hey, Jason, what about 10th Avenue North? I'm like, ah, it's not great, but it'll do. We'll, we'll change it later. We'll, we'll change, change it later. It later. We'll change that one later, and uh, here we are. We were independent for seven years before we got signed. I can't tell you how many churches we'd show up to play, and the youth pastor would get up all excited. Okay, guys, we got this band that came up here from West Palm. Give it up for 6th Street Southwest. There, the, there came a point where that's we... That's the O'Neaters. I can't remember if we got signed, if it was right before we got signed, but um, Mike, Mike really wanted to change the band name to Formerly. And I was adamantly As opposed... As in Formerly 10th Avenue North. I was adamantly opposed to it. And he was like... He offered to pay my taxes that year. So... He only owed 200 <laughs> bucks or something. Yeah. Like. <laughs> Anyway, here we are. Maybe we'll change it later. I don't know. We'll see. All right. Other questions? Yeah, she's asking about the songwriting process. Um, I'll tell you a story. The first good song I ever wrote, I feel like, I'd written about 100 songs up to this point, and they were all terrible. And um, we were talking to kids at a youth camp. We were leading worship at this youth camp. And I was talking to these kids, and I was saying, hey, can someone tell me the gospel? Because you guys all last night were, like, worshiping. All the dudes were, like, sneaking their arms around girls who were crying. Uh, hey, baby, I'll help you, you know. <laughs> Y'all seen that at creation. There's, like, these teenage dudes are just like, I got to kiss a girl, man. I'm going to kiss a girl. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. So we did so many youth camps, man, so I know all about it. Um, there's one guy who used to be work, Durrell Smith, and we'd do this youth conferences. His name was Durrell, right? And uh, he'd be like, I don't want no conference babies at this conference. <laughs> like, <laughs> anyway, I digress. So I'm talking to these kids, and none of them can tell me the gospel. None of them can even, they're all just, be good, be real good, <laughs> shake it off. Um, and... So I went back to our dorm room, and I said, these kids don't, they, they're hearing all these worship songs, but these worship songs are not helping them understand the gospel. 
And so we sat down in our, in our conference room, our hotel room, and wrote, Love is Here, which is like a direct response to, I feel like people need to understand this. You or more was the same way. Um, and there's this really great song, and we write together, we'll write music. Some songs are music first, some songs are lyrics first, some songs are something written in my journal first, you know, but... I found this verse that really, to me, explains why I want to write songs. And it's Psalm 49, 4. And David says, I incline my ear to wisdom, and with the music of the lyre, I will solve my riddle. And I love that. David's saying, okay, here's my heart, and it's feeling all this stuff that I can't make sense of. Here's what God's telling me. So I'm going to pick up this guitar, and I'm going to let this collision help me unriddle my heart. And so that's pretty much every song you'll hear on a 10th Avenue North record is from that place. Any more questions out there? Right there. Great thing, but I want you to talk about how much, how different we are. Oh, I mean, we're polar opposites. Um, <clears throat> let's see. For me, um, I'm more, I mean, I'm not, I mean, everyone's got this level of emotion, but I'm a little bit more like static. Um, so for me, uh, obviously, when I, we do this for a living, like we do music for a living. I, a lot of people are like, they need to get in this really emotional environment where there's music and there's lights and there's smoke and there's whatever. And we do that for a living. I get that. Like, we try to create an environment for people where they can meet God, where they can encounter God. Um, that's our, you know, our number one focus when we do these concerts. Are we distracting people or are we helping them meet with the Lord? Um, but for me, it's actually really distracting. Um, so if I go to a church or if I go to, uh, like, a worship service and there's drums, I'm not, I'm, I'm honed into that drummer. Uh, if, if there's like lights and they're terrible, I'm worried about like what's wrong with this lighting guy <laughs> or if it sounds bad. So like uh, for me, because I'm so in, like in this world, it's really tough unless it's well done. Uh, the church we go to uh, at home, they have like a couple acoustic guitars, uh, you know, like maybe a drummer every once in a while. They're not singing off pitch. It's not distracting. But for me, it's not like distracting production wise. So Musically, if we're talking worship through music, that's more, you know, like your Shane and Shane back in the college days, like where it's very not production value. Um, but I also just, uh, for me, scripture is probably the, the best way for me to worship and to encounter God. Um, having discussions with people, engaging uh, in, you know, conversation. Um, but for me, it's very... It's not super emotion-based, if that makes sense. And I think we are different in that realm. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm like, dude, give me the flags. Give, I'll, I'll dance. I mean, I'll just, I'm there, man. I'm like, if you're charismatic, good for you, you know. Um, but I also grew up, like, in a uh, Presbyterian denomination, Frozen Chosen, you know I mean? And, <laughs> and I loved it. I love hymns. So I'm this weird hybrid where I could get down with hymns but then if you want to sing one thing for two hours, I'm there with you too, man. And um, I, just read th I just read this really interesting thing. The word rejoice that recurs most times in the Psalms is this word. It's G-I-Y-I -I in the Hebrew. 
And the actual literal translation is to spin around under the influence of violent emotion. <laughs> if you had a kid doing that, you'd be like, sit down and shut up. You know, like, woo, I'm rejoicing. <laughs> um, but Psalm 134 says something similar. It says, lift your hands to the sanctuary. The priests, the Levitical priests, a lot of people don't know this, when they would come into the, the tabernacle or into the temple, the first thing before any music started was to lift your hands. I think it's really important to help your kids understand that sometimes emotion doesn't drive action. Sometimes action precedes emotion. Does that make sense? Like, there's a reason you bend down because that, your posture affects what you're believing. And I think the most important thing to help, you know, high schoolers, especially middle schoolers, understand is that you are worshiping something. You are giving something worth. Something is the most important thing to you. And what, dude, I was just talking to my buddy, man, and this is wrecking me. In Romans 8, it says, the sinful mind is set on the sinful nature. But the mind of the spirit is set on, and, it, and it gives you life and peace. And so some of us, if we're not experiencing life and peace, it's because your mind is set on Instagram, and your mind is set on, you know, TV, and your mind is set on your favorite baseball team, and, your, and you've set all of your focus on that. And so for kids, man, it's like, it's tough to get any focus elsewhere, and you got to help them understand you were made to give worth to something bigger than yourself. And if you don't give it to God, you'll give it to other things that can't give you what God can give you. In response, you know? So. This guy's having four kids, too. We're both having our fourth Any child day. this Pray year. Pray that my wife does not go into labor today. <laughs> I got one. I don't know if there's one thing. Yeah, go ahead. You can go after. Do you want no, I, um, <laughs> So a buddy just handed me this golfer guy, just handed me this token, and it on one side it says dependence, and on the other side it says gratitude. And he said in Romans 1, before it lists all these things, all the sins that man gets themselves into, it said they did not acknowledge God or give thanks to God. So everything else, all the sins come out of that. And he said basically, the, and, I, and I, it's been awesome because one of the things I teach my girls above all is giving thanks. Because when we fail to give thanks to God, it decays into entitlement. Like think of the 10 lepers, right? When you, God blesses us all the time, but we don't acknowledge that that's where the blessing came from and we don't give thanks to him. And when you fail to do that, you grow bitter, you grow entitled, and then, and once you start feeling that way, then you start justifying all the things you're doing, right? So, depends on God and gratitude towards God would be my my big two. Yeah, I mean, I think um, in our house, it seems like, when, like when my kids pray, it seems like they're always praying. We, we, they have a list of people they want to pray for, whatever, but they're also, I constantly remind them, like, what are you thankful for today? And so, I actually, that's where I was at before you said that, but I'm going to piggyback on that. I'm just kind of going, even just kind of stopping, whether it's midday, whether it's at the end of the day, 
and just going, hey, what is it today that we're thankful for? Is there something you want to thank God for right now? Um, just to kind of, and I think even when it just comes to like, uh, I love, one of my favorite things with the kids is being outside, whether it's out in the woods, walking around, whether it's at the beach, um, whether it's at night watching, catching lightning bugs or looking at stars. But nature for me with kids is one of the coolest things to kind of go, God did that. You know, we were just at the beach last week, and the last night we were there, we went out on the, the point uh, of this, this island, and it was like the most gorgeous sunset. And we talked about how God's using a paintbrush and is, you know, is painting the sky for them and how cool it is that God did that, you know. So just I feel like an everyday recognizing God's presence and trying to point that out um, and just being really mindful of that. So. And I just I've uh, I just hung out with my buddy, and they always take time to like stop and ask their girls what God might be saying to them. And depending on where you are theologically, maybe you disagree with that. But I was driving, and my oldest was five at the time, and she was driving, and she said, she said, God, how how did God make the sunset? And I and my wife goes, I don't know. Why don't you ask him? And she goes, Okay driving and like two minutes go by she goes oh he said he spoke it I went, <laughs> the other uh, other one last thing big thing for me is I actually just had this opportunity to take my oldest she's almost nine to the Dominican Republic with us to go uh, work with compassion to go see what compassion is doing and I was an emotional mess that week. I mean, like, everything. I was just, like, on the verge of tears or hiding it, pushing it back. Um, and just watching her, just, you know, I guess opening them up to experiences as well of just kind of going, the world's so much bigger than your bedroom, than this house, than the school you're in. And God's at work with all of these people. And, you know, I mean, we're very privileged here in the States as well. And so just also just kind of going, there's a ton of people that need you that, well, don't need you, but that could really use your help. And how can we help them? How can we spread the name of Jesus? How can we give what's been given to us back to them? And so just kind of also encouraging that has been really, really awesome with compassion. I know Mike does it. I've done it with all my kids. When they reach an age, they start to write and they start to, you know, build these relationships with kids on the other side of the country or on the other side of the world. And uh, it's pretty incredible. So. Right on the edge. So what's your question exactly? So do you know what changed me more than anything else was when I grew up in I grew up in the church. I heard it my whole life. And the power the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. But nobody I knew liked Jesus. Yeah. I went to Christian school. Most kids I went to my school were forced to be there. When I got to college, I met these kids who no one was making them, but were freely choosing to worship God. And I'd never considered this before, but Psalm 34 verse 8 says, Taste and see the Lord is good. It's not 
a suggestion. It's an imperative. There's this verse in Psalm 90, 14. Moses says, satisfy me in the morning with your unfailing love. And I love that because basically they're both saying the same thing. They're saying, if you don't taste and see, if you don't get satisfied in Jesus, you were made for God-sized pleasure. And if you don't get it in him, you will look for it elsewhere. So we think that the problem is, oh, you're addicted to this. You're addicted to that. No, the problem is you don't believe God has a potential pleasure for you that could match that. Right? And so for me, my kids, I'm always trying to push them into what's an experience with God. Like, it even means sometimes being less religious, like, when I do Bible studies with my girls, I keep it real short because I don't want my girls to assimilate Bible study with a drag. Because let's be honest, most times the reason we're going to keep it really long is because we have an agenda for what they're supposed to learn. And we don't know how to go, oh, you just got that? You know what? Let's just stop there because we could think about that all day. Like, my life changed the most when I started reading the Bible less. I was reading something by Brennan Manning, and he was saying, the problem with most of us is we just read too much of it instead of actually stopping and doing the part that we just read, you know? It's, it's because we, like, we love knowledge, which feeds our ego. Instead of, like, I'm reading this, I'm not reading this to learn, I'm reading this to change. Eugene Peterson talks about there's parts of the Bible that you can't understand until you go to those parts of the Bible to say, not what can I understand, but what can I obey? And, like, for me, the problem is an addiction. The problem is um, what C.S. Lewis said. They're looking for um, lovers less wild. They, he says, their desires are not too strong. Nay, they are too weak, for we are far too easily pleased. I'd even say that about myself. Like, there's times I'm way too easily pleased with Netflix. I'm way too easily pleased and saying, man, you know what? It, there's nothing wrong inherently with Netflix, but, dude, tonight I need to set my mind on the spirit because I, I'm going to go to Creation East tomorrow, and I'm not going to have anything to give those youth pastors. I need to taste and see God is good so that I can share him with others, you know? So I'll also say I feel like <clears throat> I don't feel like it's just this generation. I feel like uh, when I was yeah. working with youth 10 years ago, it was that generation. And when there was the pastor's like, well, 10 years ago, it was that generation. It was every generation is struggling and working with something. Everyone's trying to find their identity in something, you know. And so for me, when we were in that youth group, Mike and I, we were there for six or seven years, um, just doing life and being real with students, picking students up from school, uh, maybe if you're struggling with something, sharing your struggle, um, doing life with people. And then like Mike said, if they can see that there's something much bigger than, you know, name your vice. If there's something much bigger than that, you know, if you're actually enjoying God, if you're enjoying his word, if, you, if, if, if it all of a sudden shows on your face and they can see that, or you're going through a difficult time and they can see that you're not running to a blade or to drugs, then they go, maybe there is a different way. Maybe there is a better way. But you have to be able to do life with people.
And so it's the same with kids, right? I mean, it's the same for as a dad now. I'm going, how do I do life with my kids? So it's not just me always, you know, down at them and going, you need to do this, you need to do this. This is what God said for you to do. Instead, let's do life together. And maybe that means they don't change right away. You don't get the results you want right away. But I have to trust that, like, God's word doesn't return void. And that if you just slip those small things in and you have an example that there's going to be change, you know. Yeah, and I want to say, have any of you guys read Prodigal God by Tim Keller? Anyone? He talks about the prodigal son story and he points out, hey, I don't think we realize that Jesus wasn't telling the prodigal son story to harlots and tax collectors. He was telling that story to Pharisees. And if you read it, you realize the one that Jesus seemed more concerned with wasn't the younger brother who went out and lived in his addictions. It was the older brother who didn't think he had any addictions. It's the older brother who's religious, and he points out in that book, this blew my mind, the younger brother and the older brother, the religious and the non-religious, they're both guilty of the same sin. They're trying to use the father to get something else to make them happy. How many people... Do you know in your churches who have served the Lord for 30 years and so they feel entitled? You know why? Because they're not serving God to get God. They're serving God to get God to give them something. I even try to tell like kids who go, man, I'm saving myself from sex so that God will give me a virgin to marry. I'm like, that's not a good formula. Because God told Hosea to marry Gomer. And, like, the thing is, we think, if I obey, therefore God owes me X, Y, Z. And the, the answer is, the problem with grace is there's no limit to what God could demand of you, and he doesn't owe you a thing. He's already given you more than you could ever want, you know. So I always say, man, let's just all journey about where our idols are. Because whether you're religious or non, you all got an idol. It's trying to get something else to give you, your, like Jason said, your worth and your identity. You know, so most likely my idol is going to be being used by God. How many of you being used by God is your identity, not being loved and known by God? And I'll tell you a real quick story. I'm telling this up in the woods, but when we first did one of these big festivals, we were backstage praying a very religious, righteous prayer. God, use our band. God, use our band. What could be wrong with that, right? Use our band. Use our band. God tapped me on the shoulder. Yo, Mike, what if I want to use the other bands? Use me first. God convicted me that I being used was my idol. And so I don't pray that anymore. I don't. I say, God, move. And that way, when God uses someone else, I'm not tempted into competition. I'm lured into celebration. If God uses for king and country more than me, I don't have to wring my hands and say, how come they got to be bigger than our band? But I get to go, God, thank you for using those guys. And the same thing with churches, right? God, you're using that church. It's full of hypocrites and dirt, dirt, dirt. It's like, yeah, God uses broken people. That's what he does. I used to get mad. People would be like, what's that guy really like? Like, that guy from whatever band. And I'd be like, oh, he's broken. Sinner. Loved by Jesus. 
And I used to be mad that God would use someone like that, and now I'm really glad because it means he can use someone like me. Right? So you're talking to a room of youth pastors and youth servants. (laughs) Change the game, don't it? That's not a sexy title, youth servant. Uh, So if you could give them any advice or encouragement just to keep them going in the game of reaching the next generation, what would you say to them? Yeah, I mean, I, I've been there. I've done, I've been where you guys are at. And uh, I understand how incredibly difficult uh, of a job you have. And like I was saying earlier, I think the, the, the biggest thing that you can do for your students, the people you're involved with, is just being present um, and offering yourself, offering your life to these kids. And I know that is like the most draining tiresome sometimes there's this kid and you're like I could beat them over the head with a two by four and they won't get it you know and you just and but man it's crazy two days ago we were in Nashville I was walking down the streets in Franklin and Matt Brown this kid Matt Brown he was in our youth group walked up he was at your he was at the show and he just walked up I'm like what are you doing I hadn't seen this kid in probably like man seven eight years or something and it's incredible to watch and a lot of you have experienced this too, but kids after they graduate come back to you and go, hey, do you remember that one time? Remember that one thing you did? And you're like, no, <laughs> I don't remember that. But the small little things, the little thing you said or the, the, the conversation you had or even just mom and dad had a fight and you picked them up and you took them out for pizza or something just to talk or whatever. Just small little doing life with kids is the biggest thing. They'll come back and they'll go, that that revolutionized, like someone actually cares about who I am. So um, so I would just, I mean, encourage you to keep going. What you do has worth and um, it has weight. Like just, I love seeing these kids. Now they're married and having kids and it makes me feel old, but having them come back and go, thank you for taking your time and, and pouring into my life. Um, so I just encourage you to keep doing it. Yeah, and I would say embrace the ministry of interruption. When we first started playing, we would get done, and at the time I was trying to mac on my wife. She was my girl. She wasn't even my girlfriend yet, but I had my honor. She was mentoring high school girls, and I was like that girl. And I would always be thwarted because we would finish the service, and then I'd have this line of is like the island of misfit toys. You know, it's like. <laughs> Every kid who didn't have parents, every kid who'd been abused, every kid. And to be perfectly honest, when I first started, man, I'd be like, okay, cool, right? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, that's terrible. See ya. And I would jet for, you know, my friends who worked. And and I didn't have time for them. And I remember so distinctly this one night where God literally said, do you not see them the way I see you? And so I committed then, and again, your, mini- your ministry is to your family first, but I committed to, all right, God, at the end of the service, I'm not going to have any other agenda than to be here for these kids. And so I would sit there, and they would always lock up on me. I'd be the last one out of the building, and I ended up, you know, having to drive kids home and all that stuff. But I just said, I'm going to look each one of these kids in the eye because this is the only place where someone is looking them and saying, 
I see you, and I'm for you. And those simple things, man, I mean, it means the world. So maybe get rid of your agendas a little more and your big, like, plan of how you're going to save the town and realize what, realize what Mother Teresa said. She said, we don't do any great things for God. We just do small things with great love. Like, we're not losing this generation. I've read the end of the book. The church will endure. And what we are is we're losing the kids in our youth group to our agendas. And so, I mean, I'd even challenge you, like, fast and pray, man. When was the last time you fasted and prayed as a youth group or as a leadership team? We did this musical. Servant team. The servant team. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> See? It's in my brain. I can't get it out. It's so part of my vernacular. And, like, th- we did this musical. We wrote this musical and had all these high schoolers do it. And it was the hardest thing we ever did. But God totally did all this crazy stuff. And I do believe we, we set to every Tuesday or whatever, we fasted as a team and prayed for this thing. And I think we kind of, we try to strategize what Jesus said out of what we do. And he said, yo, fast and pray. This kind only comes out through fasting and prayer. So, again, I don't know. We can talk theologically all we want, but seek the Lord. He'll do it. He's doing it. Let's say thank you to 10th Avenue North.